Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. I'm a feminist, but yesterday I had an exam on my vaginal area. (laughs) And when I got there, the doctor said, why are you here? That's what the specialist said. And I said, I've got no idea. I said, didn't the doctor send you a referral letter? She said, no, it's okay. Just tell me (gasps) what you're here for and I'll do the examination. And I went, oh, I don't know. And I realised I had no idea what I was going to let someone do to me. I had to find the doctor's email on my phone, the referral letter, and look it up and show it to her. In fact, I had to I had to find the letter on my phone and look up and in a small voice say, what's a colposcopy? And she said, oh, a colposcopy. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. And then she looked at the letter and said, okay, I know what we're doing. And I realised that that day earlier, I had just called it an undercarriage exam, like I was a, <laughs> like I was about to do a GCSE in trains to my own husband. Oh I said, I've got an undercarriage. I had no idea. I had no idea what she was going to do to me, but she was going to put a whole heap of dye in my uterus. Oh, my And crumbs. I had no idea. And I, mean, I think it's pronounced colposcopy. Oh, fuck. Pulposcopy. Yeah. You're right. Col- yeah. What, how do you say it? Colposcopy. Colposcopy. Well, see, I just, just sounds like cold popsicle. I still don't know. I'm embarrassed. It's terrible. You do well. Cold popsicle. You I'm do a feminist. Well. Oh, maybe but that's why women were putting cold popsicles up there. That's <laughs> you today, that had to be, be told anything. not to put popsicles up in the hot Can weather. Can you stop, please, putting <laughs> that up? It's, yeah, I love it. I'm a feminist, but when I was typing out the words, I'm a feminist, but I accidentally wrote, I'm a feminist bust. Oh, mm. nice. Which is a bit pervy for a feminist and or did I mean a statue of a better feminist's head? <laughs> a better feminist's head. Yeah. I don't know. RBG's I think you, head. I, I think your autocorrect is just very sex positive. Okay, um, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. What a is fem- a feminist bus? Small one, big one. Tricky, isn't it? Really small or really big are the most feminist, I reckon. I think a feminist bust is the one you have and loving it. Okay, very good. Very neutral. Um, I think a feminist bust is one where you've grown a third boob, but just for yourself. (laughs) What if, though? Yeah. What if your bust is causing you any issues and you want to make it smaller or larger, then we. Mm. That's That's also feminist thing to do. I'm a feminist, but during my colposcopy. But during my colposcopy. Yeah, nailed it. In order to distract myself so I could relax, the doctor said, you can go on your phone if you want. So I thought, oh, fine. What's going to really distract me? So I watched a video of the best bits of Succession. It was like (gasps) a best of. I said, you don't watch Succession, do you? I don't want any spoilers. She said, no, 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 it's fine. She said, I've heard about it. I've heard it's good. 
And then I was in this position, so I couldn't really change it. And I realized that I was just loudly, didn't have any headphones with me. I was loudly exposing, also it seemed rude to put headphones on, um, that I was loudly <laughs> exposing this female doctor and female nurse while in, that, in their workplace to Roman Roy saying, you look like a dildo dipped in beard trimmings. <laughs> and Shiv Roy saying, I thought that would have kind of been your dream, Rome, me fucking Jerry with your dick. And uh, they were some of the cleanest bits that Dr. Annette's heard. I kept apologising. I said, I, kept saying, I forgot it was so sweary. I forgot it was so sweary. It just came up. It was one of the things I guess I'd been watching succession, you know, explainers, and it just oh, came up. I was like, this will do. This will be fun. This will be entertaining. I kept saying, I'm so sorry. You're in your workplace. You don't need this. And they were like, no, no, it's fine. As long as you're relaxed and distracted, as long as your vaginal cavity is as relaxed as possible. So I relaxed my vaginal oh, cavity nice. with sweary Fabulous. succession clips. Oh, my crumbstebs. I love that one. I'm going to do it. I'm going to stay on the same theme. I'm a feminist, but I had a very embarrassing, intellectually embarrassing realisation. I was at a friend's 40th a couple of weekends ago and everyone was talking about succession. I'm only two series in. So um, I did the same kind of, please, no spoilers. Um, and then someone who's watched all of it was... And I don't, this isn't a spoiler. Someone who's watched all of it was like, yeah. And then they're still deciding, obviously, who's going to get Waystar. And I was like, what? They still even, what are you on now? Four or five series. They still haven't worked out. And they were like, um, I mean, the show's called Succession. And I was like, oh, I had never connected the title of the show with the ongoing theme of the show. Yes. Once someone succeeds, it's really- That is the end of it really there. I mean, I think it could have gone on because we all love it so much and the characters are so brilliantly written, even though it's about terrible people. Um, I'm a feminist, but when I had the colposcopy, she had to go in three times with ever longer swabs each time because... In her words, my uterus is posterior, Ooh, which I lovely. assume means close to my butt. So she kept saying, I can't get an angle. I can't get perched. I can't get an angle. I just can't see down there. I just can't. Yeah. I already need a very thin speculum. And then now, she, but she was putting, I couldn't look at what she was putting in. I kept looking away. I kept looking away. So I didn't see. Because she said, do you want yeah. me to talk you through what I'm doing? I was like, absolutely not. No and, way. Just keep giving I, me compliments on my skinny little uteral canal. <laughs> I know. I, there's nothing else thin about me, but my uterus. Shut up. Sh- no, 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 there's nothing. There's nothing good or bad about being thin or not. But there is nothing else thin about me. Yes, patriarchy. Whatever you think is good or not, there's nothing else thin about me except my wound lining, very thin, which apparently is good. <laughs> now, uh, not necessarily good if you want to have babies, but good when you get older. I shouldn't say older. I don't want people to think I'm older than I was. <laughs> <laughs> I want them to think I was younger than I was five years ago. Um, <laughs> Curious case of Deborah Francis White. Yes, I, I, I'm Benjamin Buttoning my way through life. You know that, Jess. Um, but they was, she was shoving plastic things that looked like stuff you'd ice a cake with. I was like, yeah. oh, my God. If I looked, I was like, how can you be fitting that in there? Um, because I am, I've got a, I've got a, you know. Anyway. Stereal. You've got very I, upright. So think of it as upright. It's just very upright. Well, when she was down there, while she was down there, the continuation of the summer feminist spot, Jess, she said, what do you do? And I said, (laughs) I'm a comedian. And I thought, please don't say tell me a joke, as people often do. 
when you say that? Because my normal comeback would be, well, I'll tell you a joke if you give me a vaginal exam. And I couldn't ask that because I have to admit she was at that time halfway through her type five, by which I mean, <laughs> by which I mean my type five, obviously, or my baggy yeah. three. And, uh, and, and then I thought, damn, that's actually a good joke. I hope she says, tell me a joke because <laughs> now I've thought of one. Uh, yeah. But instead she said, where do you perform? And I said, well, I'm best known for a feminist podcast. And she said, oh, are you? You've got to tell young women to come for smears because it's really dropping off. Fewer and fewer women are coming for smears and it's so important. And anyway, the point is I'm a feminist and if you're a young woman with a vagina or another person with a vagina, please go and get checked out ASAP. Ask your GP, wherever you are in the world, ask your GP. Go and have a fucking smear. It can save your life. So go and do it. If you haven't booked it, book it today, book it today, book it today, book it today, book it today. Stop, pause this podcast, go book it, come back and listen to the rest. Yeah. Apparently, especially young people aren't booking it anymore. Oh, come on, young people. You're great. You've got, you're full of beans. They're full of, they're saving the world. They're so busy saving the world, they can't save their own cervix. They're thinking about climate change for the good of everyone. I know you're wonderful. Well, think socialist. about the climate of your cervix. You might be able to find out you've got an anterior one. Posterior. Oh, you know, I was giving I, them the opposite of yours. I was thinking okay. about all the different anterior, types. Posterior. Yeah, I was just, I was just, I was just trying to be intersectional. I was. <laughs> I am just saying that I think young people yeah. are so socialist now that they think it's right wing to care about their own cervix. They're like it's selfish. <laughs> And I'm going yeah. to put it out on a limb and say, where it comes to your own cervix, be a Tory, be a Republican if necessary. Look yeah. after number one. And then you will live longer to look after everyone else. That's Thank my you. final I'm a feminist, but do you have any others to close? Yeah. Go on. Um, I'm a feminist, but I've tried really hard, but I can't twerk. Um, and I don't, I'm never going to learn. I've been shown by some absolutely brilliant twerkers. I feel like... Uh, it's like a really prideful modern feminist flex and mine just looks like humps it's just like a woman humping humping. I'm going to come back with a very feminist response that you are a twerk in progress oh that's right my friend mic drop (laughs) I I also am in the process of learning to twerk that's I I went to a womb healing circle in California don't judge me and while there Anytime someone said, I find this hard or I don't do this or I'm not this kind of person or I've struggled with this, she'd say, sorry, could I just stop you? The lady running the circle, she'd go, I'm just sorry, can I just stop you? Could you rephrase that as I am in the process of learning to heal my oh. trauma with my mother, right, not right, I right. don't get on with my mother or I've got a lot of trauma uh, from my mother. I am in the process. And then that person would have mm. to say, they go, oh, yes, that's good. And then they'd talk on, she'd go, no, 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 no. You need to say in your own words, and I yeah. thought, well, they're not they're their own words, they're your words because you're making them yeah. say them, but <laughs> I now say that all the time because she did it to so many people. Oh, that's so good. So actually, I'm in the process of healing my relationship with my air humps. That's right. Yes. I am in yeah. the process of healing from the trauma twerking has caused me. Uh, yes. Attempting to twerk on demand has caused me. From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Squadcast, The Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Jessica Postecoglou, and our very special guest, Samara Bay, talking about permission to speak. 
This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White. With me is Jessica Fostercube, and we are talking about permission to speak. And Jess, today our fabulous guest is Samara Bay, a really, really fascinating yes, woman. Please. I know. Are you ready for permission to speak? I'm ready. You are. I mean, I don't yes, think you know. I'm absolutely you, ready. You, I'm ready to... You rarely wait to be granted permission to speak, I'd say, Jessica Fosterkew. Yeah, if anything, I need permission to be a better listener. <laughs> you and me both. Uh, no, I think you're a brilliant speaker, yeah. Jess. And so, but I'm ex- very excited because Samara you makes are. some. We're both. I mean, we're both professional speakers in a way because we're both comics, and I also do public speaking. But I do think you've got a conciseness and a way with words that I think Samara is going to love. Oh, that's incredibly kind, Debs. I do not think I have a conciseness. I would love a bit more brevity to just come naturally. I have to put an incredible amount of effort into being succinct. (laughs) Our guest today is a dialect coach for actors in TV and film. But if you're thinking, well, I'm not an actor in TV or film, unless you are, she is also a speech coach for people in politics, business, tech, and creative fields. And she talks very brilliantly about how women have been socially conditioned to talk, but also overturning some of those ideas about women must never have vocal fry, otherwise they're letting feminism down. And she overturned that stuff. And she looks at how marginalised people, people for whom uh, they're having to advocate for themselves in a second language, if English, for example, is not your first language, or you're in a country where... Uh, you don't speak your first language, how you might be judged, how how you might feel about yourself. Uh, if you're somebody who just doesn't like speaking up for all sorts of reasons, she is absolutely brilliant. Uh, she also has a new book out called Permission to Speak. Please welcome to the mic, the incredible Samara Bay. Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah! Thank you. Thank you. Samara Bay, do you have an I'm a feminist butt for us? We know that you listen to the show and we'd love to hear if you've got one. Well, I did come with one, but then your colposcopy uh, reminded me of something else, which is earlier this week, I also had some invasive work done, but mine was to my mouth. Oh. How ironic, really, given my line of work. But I had my first ever root canal. Ah, you pronounce it root yes. <laughs> yes. And... Um, and uh, a lovely gentleman. And I have to say, every moment that my mouth was not propped open, I found myself effusively saying, oh my gosh, thank you so much. You are amazing at this. Well, I so appreciate you. Like the fawningest fawner ever. I've never heard of anyone give thanks for Root Canal. Yeah. So I am. Wow. It's like I felt like I needed to boost him. You know? Yeah, of all yes. the people, he was in a particularly powerful position there. I think it's a great time to be buttering someone up, frankly. <laughs> they've got a, they've got it a, was clearly like a, a deep-seated yeah. impulse. It changed you know? you, Have you since left a review on Yelp? Because I think that would be a good place to leave a review for that. Because there's a fair amount of yelping in both of our examinations this week. Whether <laughs> whether oral or vaginal, if I may be so bold, yeah, yeah, yeah. as to suggest yeah. those two. Uh, so, Samara Bay, I have been absolutely loving your book, um, and just watching you be interviewed, I've got really quite addicted to it. If I'm honest, I often I only have time to like read bit, you know, dip in and out of books, but I've been really kind of addicted to yours and and listening to you. Do you want to read a bit from your book? 
Oh. I'd be happy to. Wait, I'm still recovering from that comment. Deborah. Oral vaginal. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, compliment then. Um, it's like a full body. It's 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 connecting mm. the oral with the vaginal. Mm. Uh, okay, here's 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 a bit that's been requested. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, for decades now, think piece after think piece has argued how these quote self-imposed speech impediments render millennial women and younger generations incapable of sounding professional, let alone like a boss. Headlines from The Atlantic to The Guardian have proclaimed quote vocal fry may hurt women's job prospects and young women give up the vocal fry and reclaim your strong female voice. I can't say that with any more laden sarcasm. (laughs) Serious articles on gendered language are rife with pronouncements like, quote, the use of uptalk is one of the most common elements undermining women's credibility since it's associated with hesitancy and uncertainty. Studies claim that these features of contemporary speech, sometimes even called mall speak, (laughs) have, quote, taken on a negative feminine connotation imbued with immaturity and even idiocy, end quote. The story is that we ladies have inherited the delicate instrument that is our vocal apparatus, fine-tuned over hundreds of thousands of years, and are bashing it against the stage like wannabe rock stars forgetting people came to hear music. Mm. I'd like to throw a finger at all this rhetoric and tell you not to listen to curmudgeons who resent that they've grown old and irrelevant and sound like it. Mm-hmm. But it's not that simple. There is, after all, a lot of data to support the claims that upon hearing vocal fry and upspeak, gatekeepers tend to hold that gate shut. In one such study from 2014, funded by Duke University's Fuqua School of Business, the analyst concluded that, quote, in a large national sample of American adults, we find that vocal fry is interpreted negatively relative to a normal speaking voice. Young adult women, sorry, young adult female voices exhibiting vocal fry are perceived as less competent, less educated, less trustworthy, less attractive, and less hireable. If you want to get hired, this data matters, even if it's based on vocal prejudice. Mm. So interesting. Let's begin with this. One, I first question... Presumably, your book is available as an audio book because that was. I might have done my own audio book. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm going to consume that version. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I particularly recommend the audio for uh, mothers. Okay. I find as one that yeah. um, book reading to its entirety is nigh impossible. So I'm not a mum, and I love I love the audio books. I like hearing it read to me because then. I, I'm a feminist, but I let Jennifer Grey read her whole memoir to me because I loved hearing it in her voice. And yes. I could feel the sarcasm when she was talking about all her famous ex-boyfriends. It was fantastic. <laughs> and the heavy. I wanted to hear how she was saying it. Um, right? You come for the info. You stay for the tone. I think so. Yeah. Um, but I love that, that a little bit on from this, you say, too many conversations around women's voices pick a side and stop there. Police them. Let them be. But this is a false binary too. We do not have only one way we speak and not even only one authentic way we speak. And I think that's really interesting how much we code switch. And mm-hmm. uh, just to take apart some of these expressions, could you just say what you mean by vocal fry and what you mean by upspeak? 
totally. And listen, half the people are like uh, uh, haunted by it, and half the people I talk to have never heard the term or don't have always, you know, been ashamed that they don't know what it what it is. So vocal fry comes in. I find two forms. One is when you talk in your throat the entire time that you're talking, so it ends up having this kind of sound to it, and inevitably you have no pitch variation, so people can't totally tell if you care, mm. which is, as you can imagine, a strength. Yeah a benefit as well as a drawback. Mm. Uh, but it's an incredible um, hiding uh, posture. The other way that it happens, which is really, really frequent, and I would, I would argue that most slash all of us listening um, use it this way, is when we start our thought with uh, enough breath support, but by the end of the thought, we've kind of pooped out. See what just happened there? So it goes into the throat. It makes this actual sort of bacon frying sound, hence the term you know, vocal fry. And it's about honestly not having the energy to believe your thought all the way to the end and put a period on it and hand it over to the other person intentionally. And sometimes we're just like too tired to do that. Mm. Yeah. And up speak is that rising inflection at the end, which makes can make everything sound like a question. Exactly. So the easiest way to talk about it is if any of us have uh, strange names, we might accidentally or deliberately say when we're even introducing ourselves, hi, my name is Samara. And it literally means both this is my name and have you ever heard it before, right? It's doing double duty. My name is Samara. But then we can sometimes get into the habit where we go up at the end of every one of our clauses as well as at the end of the sentence. And that is Honestly, just a, a habit that is a mirroring thing we pick up when our friends do I was going to say, my my mum has had a patch of doing that, that I've noticed. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I, I find it really interesting to, to watch things like that reach the next generation, younger and older, and then, and then f- goes away. But that's just the history of human language, isn't it? We take on each it other's is, always on the move. And now we're all more connected than ever before. So things spread wider, broader, faster. This is it. Jess, it's two things. It's that, right? It's that language is always on the move, mm. even though the older generations will always make fun of the younger generations. Oh, oh, women these days are just undermining themselves. All of my mother's generation have told me when they found out what my book was about. Please save the young women. <clears throat> A, language is always on the move, right? And B, that we mirror the people around us is an incredible evolutionary skill. And like, Dare we celebrate it? Yeah, that we have found a way in terms of verbal behavior that makes us feel safe in new social groups, that makes the people Completely. we're meeting who are new feel safe with us. Like, that's it's exactly what it's right. all about. It's for safety and it's for connection. Yeah, and sometimes status, I think, probably, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Like, how do you seem cool at school? I went to visit mm. um, a family who were are refugees and the teenagers have only been here a couple of years and they are they were absolutely so london and they were saying oh it's, it's that's cold in it and i was like what does that mean and they said oh it means it's good it's it's clearly teenage slang and they they had english idioms i didn't know mm-hmm. because i'm not cool because teenagers will always find their own idioms so grown ups don't know what they're talking about that's just how it is every couple of it's years an, it's an us versus them you're right it's us versus them and then we all want the us we all want to us be using with our peers mm-hmm. right there's so many studies that say exactly what you what you just did that immigrants sound like their friends not like their parents and we also want to them right we want to say oh i am not like them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh gosh it's fascinating so when we code switch cuz i'm absolutely positive when those 
uh, young men go up for university interviews or you know interviews in any way, they will code switch into English that they think will or they intuitively know. They might not do it deliberately, they might not do it consciously, but that will intuitively impress grown-ups more. When they're with their teenage friends, they go into that teen speak. How much do, uh, when they're talking to their parents, um, they will speak in Arabic. How much do we code switch and not realise, even if we're not somebody who's perhaps living in a country where our first language isn't the, the one that's most frequently spoken? I mean, honestly, my most honest answer as a coach is great question for all of you listening to start to notice and get curious. And also the part I want to add in, because I think this is an essential part of coaching or of even like strategy work, helping people speak on bigger stages like themselves, is is it possible to notice the, all the different ways that that each of you who are listening talk with curiosity rather than shame? Mm. Because this idea, this cultural idea we have that we have one authentic voice and the rest are fake is quite honestly messing with us. Mm. We are so, how gorgeous is it that we know how to switch how we sound based on who we're talking to? We can say that one of those is real and the others are fake, but that does a disservice to what it is to read a room, to go, what part of me belongs in that room? Can I bring that part of me out? Mm. And there is a whole other conversation to be had when the term code switching is used for the Black community, Mm -hmm. because there is so much linguistic thought around the idea that in that case, code switching is a switch into a dominant, uh, you know, style of speaking that's uncomfortable, perhaps, that is unfair. So then code switching is in order to stay safe. And it's a bummer and a half for the amount of burden it is on already burdened people. And what are your office spaces doing to make people feel that they can sound like themselves? But there's this other kind of code switching that is less loaded. That's what we're talking about, which is that all of us read a room and go, ooh, hi, I'm in this room now. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So the, the the issues become political where the room will not accept a dialect or a way of speaking. Like So I heard you in an interview saying often young black people are not heard in court or their evidence is dismissed. The truth of what they're saying is undermined by the accent that is greeted with prejudice. This is a famous um, study And I interviewed on my podcast back in 2020, I interviewed a a linguist whose book talks about this. And obviously not all, you know, anybody of any race. But yes, accent bias is so deeply ingrained in all of us because of the us versus them thing. It is one of those biases that all of our brains do. And then the question is, can we become more aware of it so that we can check it, have a second wiser thought? And I, I zoom it out this way because... There is an opportunity here for all of us, right? If we're going around accidentally categorizing people based on how they sound, and it's not just English as a second language, it's not just uh, a thick regional or race uh, inflected accent, you know, what linguists would call marked for race or class. Um, but anything, we are constantly judging. I mean, vocal fry, right? Those women I just referenced, my mom's generation, who hear a woman with vocal fry and think, oh, right? Mm. That's a moment where we get to go, ah, what if I lived in a world where there was no voice bias? What would be the alternative? Mm. How much fairer would it be? Who would be our leaders? How much more access to empathy 
what they have based on lived experience that I'm currently discounting because their lived experience also resulted in sounds coming out of their mouth that make me decide they shouldn't be taken seriously. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So what do we do about that? Are we trying to change the system or do you think that's an impossibility in the short term you need to coach somebody who is going into a high-stakes situation to code switch so that they do get heard? Or are you becoming part of the problem then? Like, what's your view on all of this, Samara? Oh, I love this question. Yeah. So listen, I I frame this as a coach deliberately because there is an element of here's what works or what works today or what works with you person in front of me. And I want to be clear that, you know, as a coach, I actually think it's deeply irresponsible to tell somebody start the revolution today, no matter what room you're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but as an author, as a speaker on this subject, I think it's deeply irresponsible not to. Mm. I think what you're actually talking about is a revolution, that the opposite of voice bias is voice justice. Yeah. And I have had people on LinkedIn, believe you me, say, well, the only solution would be mass adoption. And I'm like, I am here for mass adoption. <laughs> may we, may we, all of us, obviously, who you know already are listening to this podcast, but also in the ways that it ripples out in our personal lives and in our professional lives, would it be possible for us to listen with more generous ears mm. deliberately? It's that thing, isn't it? I think I have the conversation with um, my parents' generation quite often on various topics like this, and it sometimes feels like it boils down to a request to meet the thing you're feeling instinctively challenged by or a dislike of, um, whether rational or not, but involuntarily, meeting that with curiosity as opposed to judgment. Like it just comes back to that again and again and again, right? And, and, and there's something helpful here. Evidence. Yeah. So listen, we can accidentally judge somebody who we're seeing one-to-one and we're not, we don't know anything about them. But what if we take a moment, all of us, and think about who we love to listen to? Right. Not just the content, but the how, right? Uh, this woman named Deborah Francis White comes to mind for me. But, <clears throat> but seriously, think about not just the podcasters, right? But the... Um, the speeches that have gone viral just in the last six months. Who did you feel the physical impulse to literally swipe on your phone and share with somebody because yeah. you couldn't just keep it to yourself? And if you start to notice whose speeches, whose moments in the public, they don't have to be an official formal speech, right? Who won an award and said something true? Every single one of those moments will be instructive. I am, you know, saying very dramatically, but I believe it's true because if you Google, how do I sound like an authority figure? It will tell you all the things we expect. Mm. No vocal fry, no upspeak, keep your voice low, even if you're a woman, right? Which has been a mess for many of us. I had vocal nodules as a result of trying to keep my voice lower pitched. I talk about it in my book. It's, you know, an origin story. Anyway, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the five points of what to do in order to get taken seriously. Google and every, you know, I don't know, executive presence trainer will tell you. And then you listen to who you actually are moved by. And you go, oh, they're not doing any of those things. Mm. And they speak with accents that reflect the life they've actually lived. Mm -hmm. And they speak with an emotional availability that Google will tell you never to do if you want to get taken seriously. Mm -hmm. So here we all are. 
with massive amounts of evidence of what public speaking actually is, what it is to talk like yourself in public, say what matters, and then move people, move the needle, make an impact. Mm. And then we have all these executive presence people and the, the good old internet continually telling us the old story about how to get taken seriously like the Greeks. Mm. It's passion, isn't it? It's when somebody really means it and they're really cutting to the quick and they're saying, it's like Greta Thunberg saying, how dare you? That just swoops through the world because it was the, the... the, the, the truth of what she was saying that was bubbling up inside of her. Now, is Greta Thunberg going to do, be doing all the points that a, that a corporate coach is going to be telling someone to do when they're public speaking? Absolutely not. She can be very, uh, very you know, flatline, you know, but bloody hell do you listen to her. Oh, my God, completely. she's compelling. I, yeah. I, um, uh, I, I hit on, for me, because, again, coach, practical, how do we actually do this, right? Yeah. Um, that the secret to secret, the secret to being a quote unquote authentic, this word that is so wily, is to talk about what we care about like we care about it. Mm. To care out loud. Because we have all of us, for completely understandable socialized reasons, years, decades of experience talking about what we care about, but hiding that we care about it because anger or enthusiasm is uh, a little bit inconvenient. I talk about this in in the corporates all the time, Samara, because when you see corporate people speaking, hashtag not all corporate people, but the way corporate people are taught to speak, and actually they're not corporate people, they're people who work in a corporate environment. So let me me back the fuck up and say, when I see people speaking in a corporate environment, Mm. there's a sort of patterning where... Everything's said as if I'm speaking about business, so it's important, and therefore I show no emotion. Those same people, and they lull each other to sleep all the time doing these terrible PowerPoint presentations. And then I talk to that same person after the conference in the bar, because if I'm doing like a keynote or sometimes hosting a conference, something like that, I then talk to them in the bar, and then they'll be showing me their kid, you know, who's just won a concert recital, or they're telling me about deep sea diving, and they're showing me pictures on their laptop, because that's their passion. Their speech patterns are so different, and they'll be like, when you go under the ocean, it's just a totally different world. But when they're releasing that year's figures, they're saying what we see here is we see uh, a big upswing in the fourth quarter. And we think that was due to, and they're not saying, but look at this, guys. Then there's this this fourth quarter upswing and we, did, we couldn't work out what it was. And then we realized we'd stopped advertising and we'd started telling people about what we were doing, marketing. Marketing is just talking. It's just telling people. And they, they're not, I don't know, I'm making that up. That's, I don't know what <laughs> I've just said there, that it, whether it's, it's, but I think it tracks actually. Oh, but I mean, I'm sort of I was wrapped. That. But you know, but yes. it's, yeah. it's the energy <laughs> of the voice. Yeah. And I've, I've noticed that like people have stopped doing slides that are very, very busy and they've started doing slides, not always, but like there's a push towards, oh, don't put every single thing you're going to say on a slide because people can't read them and they can't read in here. But now what people do is they put up a slide of someone winning a race or someone at the top of a mountain because they can't just talk because they think, oh, everyone's going to be looking at me. So they've got to have this misdirection of the slide. And I sometimes say to people, but what, who's she though? Who's winning that race? I don't understand. Who's he at the top of the mountain? Who that? Why are they here? And it's like, and I think what it is is, really, is that person is standing there going, I need to show you what happy looks like, but I'm dead inside. 
So here's a picture of a happy, successful person. Imagine that and try and feel that. But if you're saying it with this very flat voice, you can't. I'm going to write that into my neck. And then then my next show behind me, I'm just going to have maybe like a a picture of Sarah Millican in one of my big. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. Sort of arena filling comedian. Uh, I would have a picture of Joan Rivers and go, imagine, just imagine. Samara, speaking of this, can we just, this is, we've done a lot of the feminist side. Can we morph into the guilty side? Can you tell us a little bit about working with, you've coached some incredible actors, Rachel McAdams, Pierce Brosnan, Gal Gadot, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Can you tell us, Keegan-Michael Key, uh, Penelope Cruz, can you tell us what what is it that you're doing when you're working with actors? Does it have anything in common with this? We, also, have you got any glamorous stories about actors? you know there is so much in common but it's um it's the sort of thing that is hard to describe but I will say this I my background is in coaching actors and even before that in being an actor and um what happens when you have a movie star in front of you whose tongue you are responsible for the movements of Mm. is that as it were, but literally also, uh, is that uh, inevitably, when I am invited into these safe spaces, quote unquote, in their trailer, or perhaps at their dining room table a few days in advance, I offer space for a creative soul to be bad at something before they're good. Mm. Because working on an accent, as you can imagine, bring stuff up, right? There's elements of whatever's coming up for the project, right? This director is making me feel bad, you know, that kind of stuff. But also literal stuff, like this accent is making me hold my body in a different way and it's making me question who I am. And I have been aware for years, for the the over the decade that I've done this uh, in the Hollywood world, that Voice is a site of insecurity for literally everyone. And I have a, you know, absolutely successful, gorgeous diva movie star in front of me. And yet, there you go. Mm. And it's given me a huge amount of, you know, generosity of spirit to talk to anybody and go, well, look, (laughs) I know, you know, that um, voice is invisible. We can go days, weeks, months, years without thinking about how we sound. But if somebody allows us the space, to go, what is my relationship to my own voice? Do I, quote unquote, hate the sound of my voice? Or do I worry that I'm not being heard? Or do I get interrupted? Or do I try interrupting? And then I get treated like I've I've transgressed in some, you know, wildly unfixable way, right? Or was I the loud one when I was growing up? Or was I the quiet mm-hmm. one? And what was this archetype that I was, you know, shoved into? Everybody has a story. Everybody has, every one of us, you guys, those of you listening, every one of us has a story about a person who said something in second grade, or our mom who told us, or our high school English teacher who said something about your laugh is annoying, or your voice is too high pitched and no one will take you seriously. Or this woman uh, told me I'm like now the collector of these, right? As an accidental aspect Mm -hmm. of my job. Uh, This woman told me that uh, somebody in high school told her, do you sound stupid like that on purpose? Oh my God. (gasps) And now she's an executive in Hollywood. And she's like, I literally don't know what I was sounding like. So I still assume every time I open my mouth to speak, that's what people are thinking. 
So there's this, they're the, they're the comments, right? There's the accumulation of these random off-handed comments that annoyingly had an outsized impact on our life. And then there's also, I might argue, a bit of a shame bubble around those comments. Like, why did I let them get to me? Mm-hmm. So really just the space that I was offering to actors, I'm now offering to everyone, mm-hmm. everyone to be like, hi, what if we just name that the way that patriarchy and white supremacy and colonialism have gotten to us is that they've disconnected us from believing in the sound of our own voice mm. and calling it power. Yeah. How deep is it? Because it feels so deep to me, the sound of your own voice. It's your breath. It's your expression. It's so much of who you are. It's a big deal, isn't it? How much do you think it matters how grounded you feel and how much power you take, how connected you are to your voice? Because I don't think we think about it enough. No. I'll tell you, the American edition of Permission to Speak has the word permission like six times and the word speak once. So I'll say it's six times as important as the actual words coming out of our mouth. Yeah. I have lots of thoughts. I think as a comedian, you get lots of negative feedback if you la- on your laugh, if, especially if you do radio. Like <laughs> as she, as she People laughs. hate yeah. hearing a woman really laughing. Um, and I saw a brilliant comedian who does this podcast regularly with Deborah called Kiri Pritchard-McLean say, um, just do a lovely clap back once saying, oh, do you not like that noise? You obviously aren't very familiar with the sound of a happy woman. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not so I think we can all, if she's happy, for us to, to share her. Her comeback, that's a nice one. That's fun. I mean, this is why it's a radical act. Yeah. Show up as yourself. Yeah. Right. I have a paranoia about my life. Not really, actually. I don't really care. But there of course I do, because I'm saying it. But that I laugh too loudly in comedy shows. I can't help it. If I find something funny, it just comes out. I love hearing your comedians laugh. like sure. it. But Who's uh, not gonna like? I've had punters. Punters means other people in the audience. I've just realized Samara. Uh Thank you. Thank you. Simultaneous translation. Exactly. Uh, Turn around and glare at me because I'm laughing too loudly in a comedy show. But but then one of my friends, do you know Jared Christmas, the comedian? Yes. He said to me once, the only thing about you, I love when you come to my show because your laugh is so loud. But if I don't hear it, I think, what was wrong with that joke? (laughs) Yeah. There is that, Debs. Because the only problem with having a distinctive laugh as a friend is that you're like, um, that one did not land with Debs. Um, I mean, uh, one might consider that honesty yes. and mm-hmm. thus trustworthy. Um, I, I think being a laugh leader is an important power move. Is that what I, I am? call it even activism. Yes. I, mean, I, I, I consider myself one, yeah. A laugh leader. Sometimes I'm the only person laughing. And then I think, God, I am so savvy and sophisticated compared to the rest of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's got up all the heads. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Hello, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah. We're recording more live episodes, and you can come and see us at King's Place in London on July 24th, Soho Theatre on the 11th and the 12th of August. We're live from Chichester on the 21st of August, and we're recording episodes of The Guilty Feminist and Global Pillage at the London Podcast Festival on Saturday the 16th and Sunday the 17th of September. For tickets to any of these, go to guiltyfeminist.com and click on Live Shows. I'll be in Chichester because I've written a play called Never Have I Ever, which will be on in Chichester at the Festival Theatre at the Minerva for the whole of September. It stars Alexandra Roach, Amit Shah, Greg Wise and Susan McComa. And it's about money, sex, power, feminism, politics and running a restaurant. For tickets, go to cft.org.uk. That's cft.org.uk. They're really going fast and I'm not just saying that. You can also get ad-free episodes via Patreon, Apple Podcasts or Acast Plus. And if you're passing iTunes or Spotify and you wanted to leave us a five-star review or even you wanted to go there of your own volition, we would love you forever. It really does help other people find the podcast if you follow and if you review. And now back to the podcast. So Samara, you are now somebody helping everyone find their own voice. But traditionally, you also have done accent coaching because you came out of the Shakespearean tradition as an actor and you became more and more gripped and fascinated uh, by the voice and accents and got sort of divinely led out of acting and into helping people find their voice. Is there a particularly difficult American accent that you've had to work with an American or other actor on that you could teach Jess Foster Q and me to do now? Like, yes. is there something you just, just one sentence or a couple of words that you could teach us to do? And we'll have a go at it. I say this boldly and bravely because I'm very bad at accents. I used to be really good, but they fizzled away. That's really, what does that mean? I used to, ha- uh, when I was a student, we had, me and a few friends could do quite a few accents and we'd have, they'd, they'd make us do tournaments, see who could do the most, mm. the most convincingly. But I think... Do you know what times have changed these days? If you live somewhere like London and you don't, you're not required to do another accent very often because 
rightly, people go, why would I get her to try and sound like she's from Australia when I could employ an Australian living in London, etc. And also my girlfriend is Scottish. And if I dared to do a Scottish accent anymore in this, the only time I'm allowed is when um, her or her family have bought my son a book in Scots, a, a, a dialect which is impossible to read out loud without doing a Scottish accent, then I'm allowed then I get away with it. But, but if I do you just wanted to get up in the morning and offer her a cup of tea in a Scottish accent, she would be offended by that, would she? Yeah, probably, yeah. I wouldn't be offended if you did an Aussie accent to me. I would find it adorable. <laughs> can you do an Australian accent for me? Because I was born and raised in Australia, so you can probably hear that. I don't know if oh, I can no. do it anymore. Can you hear it? Is that all right? It comes and goes, Samara. It comes and goes. But have you been li- have you been listening to Blue Oh, no, I but that's a bit of Australian it. accent you've got. Very, it's very unusual that someone can be do it that Biscuits well. Biscuits for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Biscuits for dinner, yeah. Um, some people don't like it when I do an Australian accent on this podcast when I'm doing Australian <laughs> voice, but I'm like, well, I was raised in Australia. And to me, Excuse me. Yeah. I just feel like we, the problem for me is I wouldn't do an Indigenous Australian accent. That to me would be wrong. It would feel like it had an element of mockery and it's just not my accent to do because Indigenous Australians are marginalised. But I wouldn't do a Greek or Italian Australian accent either, although lots of my friends who have Greek or Australian origin would do a broader one for comedy purposes because that's their origins. But I think I can do an Aussie accent. Um, Jess, can you do an Aussie accent? I can have a go at one. I used to be better than I am now. I don't feel very like confident straight off the bat. That's it's probably the old words subtle. going wrong. I can't do one that subtle. It's beautifully subtle. I can't do one that I I can't do one that subtle. That's beautiful. Let's listen. Since you asked, enough enough dilly dally. Yes, on my part. Yes. Um, here's what I think. I think the general American accent okay. is actually the hardest, oh. right? It's, it's easier in a way to do this broad Southern thing. But Sexy I heard you do a tiny, tiny bit of uh, succession up oh. there. Oh, I and, should never uh, have done that in front of you. What you was I thinking? I am the least judgmental person ever when it comes to accents. That's your whole brand um, is non, non, no judgment. I was thinking I that mean. clearly. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Oh, can you teach me to do that Roman Roy quote or the Shiv Roy yeah, quote? Yeah, say the line again. Okay. Which one? Which one? The dildo or the other one? Which one? Uh, let dildo. me see. So I think, I thought that would have kind of been your dream, Rome. Me fucking Jerry with your dick. God, that's a lot, isn't it? Or- so can we just do that last one? Just me fucking Jerry with oh, your dick? Jesus. Yes, go on. Want My it? mother would be so proud. Continue. Yes. <laughs> Mine's, mine's going to listen to this and be like, you were so charming on that show. And then, uh, then yeah, you go on. <laughs> so, okay, me fucking Jerry with your dick. Go on. So I say it first. Well, so. No, you go. Yeah, go no, no, you, you go. You go. Well, so the first, an, a lovely little spot to start, right, is you've got that you're in there. You're, your dick. You're dick. So, right. So here's what happens. The R's at the ends of words. Oh, oh, we get to get so nerdy now. The R's at the ends of words are not actual consonant R's. What? There's a secondary way that R's work in English, and I mean all of our collective English, which is that the R at the end of a word, like an E-R word or an O-U-R word, is actually a vowel. What is the definition of a vowel compared to a consonant? I'm so glad you asked. A consonant, your mouth closes, something happens, right? A vowel, your mouth stays open. Sound continues out. Things might get in the way a little bit, but not enough that the sound can't. This is why we can only sing on vowels, right? So if there's a spectrum of R energy on that end vowel, British, yeah, 
right? Or you're, but that uh, open mouth thing. And American, you're, or you're, but not all the way to the far end where you're putting a consonant on it because then you become a pirate. You're, uh-huh. you're. That's where so I go if you're wrong, in- Samara. That's where I go wrong. Well, it becomes muscular, right? It's a trying, and I see the trying. I bow down to the trying. And now let's back off a little bit energetically and make it as unmuscular and like useful as possible with a little R energy. You're a dick. So far end on this side. Yeah, you're. I'm sorry. So sorry. You're a dick. Skin. No, that's too much. Yeah, and then and then no, it's good. But now link that R energy over to the next word. You're a. You're a dick. That sounds like you're a dick. <laughs> I'm just trying to say, yeah, you're a dick. I, I've yeah, but, the sentence. Oh, you're, oh, I see. There's no A in there. The, right? No, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I'm but, me fucking Jerry with your dick. Oh God, what a terrible sentence. Me fucking Jerry with your, 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 <laughs> how do I do it? Your. No, no, no. That was right. Your. 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 Think of it as Y, think of it as Y-E-R, first of all. Your. And then add a tiny bit of MRR energy. That's right. And then what's the most important word in that thought? Is it the your? Me fucking Jerry with your dick. Your, I think it is. I think it actually is, yeah. right? So maybe it's your instead of your because your is the is the weak form and your is the stronger form. So me fucking Jerry with your, your, your dick. And let the yo part of it be more important than the R. Oh, God. Me, f- Just me fucking, me fucking Jerry with your dick. Yes, dude! I don't think the R was right. Can you please do it, Jess? You'll be way better. You're an actor. Me fucking Jerry with your dick. Oh, so much better. But you know what the difference was? And this is so, I don't know if this is where your Australian comes out, but there was a little energetic wiggle that you had, Deborah, that Jess, you flattened. So your is a straight line, whereas yours was like your. Yeah, true. Australians would say. So the sound was fine. The sound was fine, but there was a wiggle. Yeah, Australians would say your dick. Your dick. (laughs) Me fucking Jerry (laughs) with your dick. So it's <laughs> so it's flat. Me fucking Jerry with your dick. But then put some joy into it. Oh gosh. <laughs> you, you can do that just by smiling, right? Me fucking Jerry with your dick. Yes. Can you teach Jess to do something now, please? Jess, is your okay. American accent perfect? Your regular one? Nope, I wouldn't say perfect. It's good though, isn't it? I don't know. Can you teach her to do it more like uh, they say in Minneapolis? Me fucking Jerry with your dick, but but like, you know, like in Fargo. Like me fucking Jerry with your dick. There you go. (laughs) Like that? Yes. Like that. Or that is a a, a delicate thing to say in Minneapolis. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I will say this, though, that... Oh, wait, I was going to go somewhere. Oh, I lost my train of thought. I was going to go somewhere that was going to make it into... Not have, putting you on the spot. You also, you have like no time. Left. Yeah, she's only got two minutes, but but see minutes. what we can do. Okay. That's okay. You can teach her to do something else if you'd rather, but I feel like she needs to learn something. Well, anything. Just for the podcast. Give me permission to do something with a Scottish accent. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Here's what I was going to say. Wait, yeah. oh, well, that, oh, sure. I feel like maybe that lives in you better than it okay, lives in fine. me. I mean, I, I am a viewer of Outlander. Um, I'm a feminist, but I am a feminist, um, but that is a right. We are right to. I don't know. I, it, it, upsetting for Scottish, upsetting for Scottish friends on the accent front. Is it that oh. show? Yes. Oh, listen, I'm available if. Okie dokie. I hope the producers are listening. Um, no, here's what I was going to say. Yeah. For anyone listening who wants to quote unquote work on your American accent, right? I know there is a heavy energy around that, like you're going to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And how could you possibly get it right? And I'd like to point this out. Every single one of us 
me as an American and all of you sound a little tiny bit different from everyone else. This is one of the things that is endlessly thrilling to me about voice. Our life experience, everybody we've spent time with, our parents, right, our media, our choices, our own sense of aspiration comes out in our sounds. We don't sound like anyone else. There's even an official word for it. It's idiolect. This is the linguistic term for you are a unicorn. So that gives us, in the dialect world, a bit of leeway, right? If your sound is a little different, if you're your was a little different. Oh, that's because, you see, I was once in Australia. I dated a gentleman from Australia. Right. The stories are endless. Yes. Like that majestic um, international school accent. Mm, totally. And actually what I just realized, just to name it, is that that little speech that I just gave you is literally just giving you permission. Mm, yeah. But it's true. Yeah. Can you Lovely. now give Jess permission to say, me fucking Jerry with your dick in a Scottish accent, please? Can you say I give you permission? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, out loud. Yes. You have permission. Okay, great. Right. I'm going to practice me fucking Jerry with your dick. <laughs> I, hope okay. I hope that's okay. God, it's gorgeous. God, it's gorgeous. Um, <laughs> that has been a delight. Your book is just full of the juiciest stuff. Yeah, if anyone's looking to reclaim their voice, to ground their voice, to think about how they might advocate better, speak publicly, uh, speak in situations that make them feel anxious, speak in situations where they feel they have imposter syndrome. This is the book for you, Permission to Speak by Samara Bay. And you can get it right now. You can get it. It's a penguin book. You can get it in all good bookshops. Try and buy it from someone who pays their tax if you can. And uh, But do get it or get the audio book and let Samara read it to you. Yes, whatever you please. do, find it because I do think that grounding your voice, finding your voice, and even just investigating, hey, if I am code switching anyway, when do I feel comfortable doing it? When would I rather not? Because I'm just trying to make somebody of the dominant group feel more comfortable. You will be doing it a little bit because you speak differently to your mother-in-law than you do to your kid, don't you? We all do. Um, we don't say fuck in front of our grandmothers unless our grandmothers say fuck. So it's there's all sorts of ways in which we code switch anyway. So let's think about it, analyze it, mm. harness it. Decide when and where it's for our own power and not for other people's comfort, unless we are putting a premium on someone else's comfort. Uh, and I think, to, and I've taken away from this as well, which I love, a bit more of a, a bit more um, of an internal critique when I feel challenged in some way or other by the way that somebody is talking to me. I think about why is that an issue for me? Yeah. And also, I will say, if when you get to chapter eight, I have. I think, the solution for those deadly, boring corporate presentations. Oh, fantastic. Um, Jess, you need to go now, don't you? I do. And to anyone Scottish listening, I am so sorry. Big round of applause for Jess Foster Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. It was so lovely to meet you, Samara. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Jess. Bye. Thank you. Um, Jess has popped off, but Samara, can I ask you to tell us uh, just briefly or tantalise us with what you think the answer to the boring presentations are. You don't have to tell us everything because we should all read the book, but I haven't got up as far as chapter eight yet. Well, I would like to honor the Scots woman who I happen to reference in uh, chapter eight. Um, thank you to Jess, who's no longer here for, for queuing that up for me. Um, one of my favorite TED Talks is this woman named Carolyn McHugh, who's an older Scots woman, who talks about this moment in her childhood that defined 
her orientation to her audience forevermore. She was forced by her mother to uh, join in some big family affair where she had to sing and dance with her siblings. And she didn't want to, and she was feeling shy. And her mother famously said to her, no one cares about you. Your job is to entertain. And she said from that moment onward, she was, as she put it, she had spectacular disregard for being the center of attention. And she says, from the stage of Ted, the context is just delicious. She says, I'm not the center of your attention. You're the center of mine. And when we are up there presenting, for completely obvious reasons having to do with both evolution, right? Eyes on us equals danger. And also socialized reasons, especially if we're women, especially if we're people of color. Oh, hi, the public was literally not made for us, and yet we are here. Our actual existence in this room is annoyingly revolutionary, right? For all these reasons, the energy's on us. We get nerves. Our body, our nerve, our literal nervous system goes, uh, uh, fuck. But if when we can switch that energy to being, why are we here? What is our information going to give our audience? What do they need? It literally changes our nervous system. It changes the chemical makeup in our body. If we care out loud, as I put it, part of that isn't just, ooh, how well can I care? It's for whom? What am I doing here? What's the actual why? What does my audience need? And when we connect to that, when we decide to be heroic enough, like the good kind of heroism, to actually show up for the people who actually need us, we are not boring. It's so interesting because I've never heard that TED talk and I haven't got up that far in your book, but that is almost identical to what I say in when I'm talking in the corporate world that I notice, because I work with a lot of professional speakers because comedians are professional speakers. Yeah. What I talk about is I notice that I know how experienced a comedian is by how they talk about the gig. So if a comedian comes into the green room after their set at a comedy club and goes, how do you think I was? Did you think I did okay? Do you think they'll book me again? I think I was a bit cold at first, but I warmed up after the aardvark stuff. Do you think I was okay? And an experienced comedian will come backstage and go, yeah, they're okay. They're a bit cold at first, but they warmed up after the aardvark stuff. You'll have a good time with them. And they talk about the whole gig from the point of view of the audience. And so when I'm on stage, I am always thinking about where my energy is going to try and get those people in. Because if the people up, up the back don't feel included in my energy, they'll start to talk or go on their phones and that will dribble through. So my job is to change the energy in the room. So when I think about presentations, I always say, not to, what do you want them to know? If you want them to know stuff, send them an email. If you've bothered to turn up in the room or on the Zoom as a human being, how do you want them to feel? What do you want them to do? They are the only valid questions because what they're not going to remember everything you say. They're not going to know all the stats because you turned up and told them. You're, that's much better off as a doc or a takeaway afterwards. That's not to say you don't have to tell them any stats, but they won't remember the stats. What they'll remember is how you felt about the stats. This is really worrying, guys. This is tailing off. Or look at this shooting up here. Or Now, we found out that a quarter of our clientele isn't interested in this. So what are we going to do about that? Is it time to say goodbye to it and look over here because this is the new thing and this is what's selling? Because that's then not about a quarter or three quarters or it's not about a pie chart. It's about how you feel about the pie, how you want them to feel about the pie chart and what you want them to do about the pie chart. And you know what you're describing. I mean, first of all, the... The, the call to action inside of that, extremely important, right? Ha having an agenda, having something to actually do really helps. But the other part of it that I want to zoom out and name is that what you're, what you're calling, what you're talking about is leadership. 
When we are speaking on a stage, even if we are not the highest level position person, blah, 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 our, our literal job title doesn't define it. If we're asking a question in a big space, no matter what quote unquote status we are, when the energy is on us, we have the opportunity to be a leader, mm. to hold the space. And that means we also get to define what kind of leadership we want to see more of in the world mm. and be it in those moments. If we want leaders who, are, who, who ask questions, who don't have all the answers, mm. right? Oh, how great. But that, that, um, that space holding means that the other thing also can happen, which is totally abdicating power. And that's what I think happens sometimes when we're like, do they like me? No, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. You just stepped out of your power. A new comedian, the reason it's very difficult sometimes to go to a new act night, and it's sort of worse for you than it is for them in a way, is because a, a new comedian who's nervous about their material is often asking the audience to share responsibility for the set, but the audience have no power to do so. So as an audience member in, in a, watching new acts, if the new acts aren't taking that power, you think, oh, I'd love to help. I'd pay extra money if I could make this stop or make help them out or make it better, but you can't. And so all you can do is go, ah, but they're not conducting you when to laugh. And when, when I talk to other comics, one of the big things that we talk about is how you conduct an audience to laugh with your voice. Because nine times out of 10, honestly, you could be going, set up, set up, set up, punchline. And the you tell them when to laugh and you, <laughs> yeah, you might not be saying anything, but you're telling them when to laugh. That's not to say you don't have to have substance, but this is about style. And style, if you, it's substance is on you, really. Like, are you, what kind of person are you? What, what are you? What are you trying to shift in the world? How are you trying to make the world a better place? What are you selling? What do you want people to buy? That's all, that's really on you. But style is worth learning because I see too many women standing up and saying, um, oh, uh, well, we've just, we've, we've done really well on the budget we've had. And I think, you know, well, Sarah's going to tell you more about what we've achieved, but what we'd love to do at the end of this session today is perhaps reassess the budget because it's, while we've gone quite far away and we've done quite a lot of what we've, we haven't done everything we've set a chapter to achieve to achieve. And, and what they're saying is give me more money, but the story they're telling is don't give me anything. I don't know what I've just done with that money. It's just gone. I like to sometimes say that my entire job is helping us see the ways that we hide vocally Mm. and showing up instead. Uh, And that is such an incredible example of vocal hiding. What irritates me about it is generally the woman who's doing that has done so much research, knows so much about the subject, really understands it, but has been socially conditioned to do that. Meanwhile, some posh white man will walk through. I've seen it happen. They walk through him and they go, they shout over some desks over in an open plan office. Yeah, Greg, we're going to have to reassess that budget. It was always unrealistic. I'll ping you an email about it. But yeah, we probably have to double it. But, you know, it's what the client wants. And they'll just keep walking and they get their money because the story they're telling is, trust me with money, trust me with responsibility. It's going to come back to you. And I think we don't often think enough about the story we're telling with the words that we're saying and the way that we're saying the words. And I think women have been socially conditioned to do it. This is not to say... That there is no, I loved that stuff in your book about um, shall we grab lunch sometime and about how it's, uh, how, how we see that same, those same rhythms in animals when they're trying to socially bond. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? I think the, uh, 
The idea that all of us have a nice in us for women socialized, this sometimes means that our pitch goes up and we have what I call Starbucks voice. Hi, um, would it be possible to just refill the Splenda? That nice, that performance of nice is seen throughout the animal kingdom. When we are speaking to a child, when we're speaking to somebody that we want to have like us, right? The ears go back, the fur goes down, we go small, we go adorable. And then of course, for some of us in our adult lives, we go, ooh, did I accidentally get stuck there? And a lot of what you're talking about also connects to uh, chapter five, I talk about tone. And tone is this big catch-all for A lot of things, but the one that I want to name is business, uh, Harvard Business Review will always put out a new study saying that the strength-warmth balance is impossible to achieve, but women must if they want to get taken seriously. And obviously, you can tell from my tone. Uh, I think that's not a useful setup. And that the strength-warmth balance means how do we come across as both strong and competent and all of that, and also warm, like we're taking care of people. And listen, sometimes we don't want to take care of the room, and that's annoying, and we can have some resentment around that. But the important part, I think, to note is that we actually show up with strength and warmth in equal measure to the people in our lives who need us when they need us. I've got this. I've got you. To a kid, to a spouse who's had a rough day, to a friend who's going through heart heartbreak, Right. And the strength-warmth balance often just gets thrown out of whack in these corporate contexts because we have accidentally um, internalized crappy archetypes of strength and of warmth that we would never want to be. So yeah, the animal kingdom is is a lovely place to start to go, ooh, okay, actually, (laughs) I'm just performing what my animal body knows. Um, And then we can also dig a little deeper. What are the social stories around strength? If strength in my mind is accidentally associated with like masculine coded violence, aggressiveness, grossness, uh, yeah, that's not going to be available to me. Um, I loved this in your book. As journalist John Colapinto explains in his book, This is the Voice, those animals who live in larger cooperative groups with more complex social interactions produce and process signals with more points, more sounds along the emotional spectrum, i.e., do you want to grab lunch sometime? Lizards who will actually eat their own young if the babes don't scamper away fast enough don't have the brain capacity for emotional attachments and cannot make a sound. We humans are the most socially complex species there is, and we've got the vocal options to prove it. We make a tiny, subtle shift in intonation and we're offering concern, but with a tinge of jealousy or wistful with gratitude or fury with an eye roll because we're mad, that we're mad. And this is so interesting that... The less lizard we are, the more warmth and the more complexity there is. So don't punish yourself. And this is by no means, uh, for me, it's, I think I sounded like I was criticizing when I said women are standing up and going, oh, we just had a thought and I don't know if it's worth mentioning. This is not a criticism. I only find it a frustration because I see the most prepared, most passionate, most dedicated individuals sometimes telling the story, I'm not really sure why I'm here or whether or not you should invest in me. And I believe that to be socially conditioned, but I find it fascinating that it can also be a biological response to a complex social fabric. And that it's evidence that you are not a cold-blooded lizard that would eat your own young. So, (laughs) And one of my favorite things from linguistics is, I think, like a massive shame buster, which is Every vocal habit any of us have picked up, we have picked up for a reason. Mm, it, worked some, mm. it worked somewhere. 
And now have we outgrown it? Or might we consider other options that we have at our disposal? Let's do it. Let's do it with our friends. Yeah, I often talk about taking off a jacket that you don't need anymore. Like if you're inside, it kept you warm on the street when it was freezing cold and you needed it. When you were a teenager, without that, you would have got bullied. You would have got you would have got punished by teachers. And now it's this big, heavy coat and you're standing inside by a roaring fire and you're like, I'm too hot, but I can't let go of this coat because it once kept me cold. And just slip it off like a coat. Just slip it off. Let it go. Because it's not gone anywhere. You can keep it because you might need to put it back on. You might be in a situation at Christmas or Thanksgiving or somewhere with your in-laws and you might think, I'm just going to pop this coat back on because I remember how to do this. But you don't need it everywhere all of the time. The coat isn't you. And a lot of this stuff is just different coats. Anyway, Samara Bay, I could talk to you all day and we must have lunch as soon as possible. That was really moving. I'm so, I'm so in love with this conversation and with you. I want to give you a hug through the screen. I want to have lunch with you and like get, go deep. Um, But I feel like we should record it because as extra material, Uh, (laughs) where are you, where do you live, Samara? I'm in Los Angeles. I'm in Eagle Rock, California, which is like the cool east side of LA, the Brooklyn of LA. Next time in LA, I'm in LA. Could we please have lunch? Yes. Doesn't your womb need to get closed back up? I admit I might have only stayed for half the healing ceremony. That's what I mean. I just, I opened it up and then it didn't get healed. So I need to come back. Um, I, (laughs) the, the allure of California is me and womb healing. Listen, it's one or the other and a little bit Hollywood. So we will, uh, we're going to come back and I'm going to come back and we're going to meet again and maybe we'll record some more, but, uh, I've absolutely loved, loved, loved meeting you, Samara Bay. Everyone should get permission to speak ASAP. Thank you. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Jessica Foster-Q and our very special guest, Samara Bay. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer for The Spontaneity Shop was Tom Selinsky. Thanks to Rachel Crawford, Gina DCO, Zain and Mohammed, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. I was saying that in a good way. You've said that. You. you you answered very slowly. Yeah. And I was like, did she freeze or did I now take away her permission to speak? I think there's a delay. No. Oh, good. The internet took away <laughs> my permission to speak. Bloody internet. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.